Hey, what's going on? It's Darius, and you're listening to a new episode of the Darius Faru Show. And on this episode, I talk to Robert Sutton. He is a professor at the Stanford Graduate School of Business. And he's also the best-selling author of books like Good Boss, Bad Boss, Scaling Up Excellence, The Knowing Doing Gap, and The No Asshole Rule, which is one of my favorite books. And I recently wrote an article about how I apply The No Asshole Rule to my life. And it's funny because at the time, I didn't know of... Robert Sutton's book. I hadn't heard about it. The funny thing about that is that I recently talked to Ryan Holiday on my podcast and he mentioned that often books start out as a conversation and the conversation turns out into an article and an article might turn into a book and then the book goes on to have a life of its own. And that is also what happened to The No Asshole Rule by Robert Sutton. And in his latest book, The No Asshole Survival Guide, and at the beginning of the book, he mentions that he still gets a lot of emails from people who share their own stories about dealing with assholes and asking him for advice about how to deal with them. And remember, The No Asshole Rule was published in 2007. So 10 years later, Robert Sutton is still getting emails. And after getting thousands of emails, he thought to himself, what's a better way of addressing all these challenges that people are facing than to create a book? And that's what he did. And I read it and I really enjoyed it because I've dealt with assholes in the past as well. And when I wrote the article about the no asshole rule, a lot of my readers also emailed me about their stories. It's funny because it's a universal thing. And as you will hear in this episode is that even though it's quite common that you face an asshole, you don't have to be a victim of assholes. And that's what I think happens too often on the workplace is that assholes just get away with their nasty behavior. And the Asshole Survival Guide gives you tips, strategies, and tactics to uh, deal with those assholes. And in my conversation with Robert, we don't only talk about how to deal with assholes, and we also talk about his own experience with jerks at work and it's a real fun conversation we had a lot of fun and uh, Robert is a great guy to talk to and he has really fun examples that'll make you laugh because uh, one thing that I noticed after I listened back to this episode is that his approach to you know dealing with jerks and nasty people and nasty behavior and assholes is that he takes a very light-hearted approach and I think that's where it all starts is that if you take things too personal, you can get caught up in a lot of emotions. And professionally speaking, that's never a good thing, I think. But this episode is not only uh, us talking about how to deal with assholes. We also talk about how we can be part of the solution and how we can create asshole-free organizations, families, and groups. Because I'm a big believer in leading by example. At the end of this episode, we talk about how we can do that. So, without me further talking about it, here's my interview with Robert Sutton. All right, Robert Sutton, welcome to the podcast. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So, it's great to talk to you because a while back, I was uh, I wrote an article about assholes, and at the time, I didn't know your your book. And one of my readers made me aware that you wrote a book called The No Asshole Rule, and I instantly loved the title, and I went to read it as well. <laughs> so it's great to have you on the podcast. Oh, it's great to talk, and thanks so much for reaching out to me. I really appreciate it. And uh, I, and I also read your new book, The Asshole uh, uh, Survival Guide, and I'd really love to talk about it uh, 
in this in this podcast. But what I first want to start with is the let, let's go back to the seventies uh, when you okay. start. <laughs> When you started, I can barely remember. <laughs> <laughs> so you got you pursued a degree in uh, psychology, and to me that's always interesting. So I was really wondering why, uh, if you re still remember, <laughs> why you, you no, know, decided. No, I remember, even, though, even though I was at U University of California at Berkeley, I still remember. Uh, <laughs> so I, it was one of those things where, honestly, just accidentally, I I don't come from a family where anybody you know really ever finished college. So I went to community mm -hmm. college and. I liked the psychology classes, and so, uh, and eventually I got to UC Berkeley, and I uh, somehow or another thought I'd be a psychology major, but but I was just kind of floating around, and and then uh, I kept dropping. I was an undergraduate about seven years. I'd drop out, I'd work for a while, I'd come back, but I always had good grades. That was my philosophy: is if I I would drop a class unless I got an A. So I had almost a perfect grade point average in colleges. It took a while. And so, uh, so, I, so I went to UC Berkeley, and then I started getting involved in research. Um, so, um, I, and I did, I did, uh, I did some uh, some research on uh, on workplace stuff, on stress, on on uh, how uh, being part of a bigger organization or being independent had an effect on um, on managers. And so I applied to the PhD program in Michigan, and then I just started doing the usual thing when you're a traditional academic, which was essentially really from 1976 mm -hmm. until um, about 2005. I mean, there was some stuff in between. I mostly focused on writing peer-reviewed articles for academic journals. So, so some of my early research was on the challenge of organizational decline, plant closings, stress. Um, one thing that uh, set the stage for this stuff is on the expression of emotion in organizational life. And uh, also, I did a lot of other research on organizational um, change mm. and um, innovation. Those are kind of the main areas that I've done research on. Uh, but, but what started happening, especially gradually over uh, the last 15 years, is I started, um, instead of just writing for academics, I started writing more and more work that was focused on uh, the needs of people in the workplace, such mm -hmm. as the no asshole rule, yeah. um, books on leadership, good boss, bad boss. And um, I'm especially interested in how to change organizations. And uh, one of my big recent interests is, uh, is how you innovate an organization at scale. So how do you have innovation when an organization is big? And uh, um, but but so anyway, so across the course of my my career, I started from being a pure academic to someone uh, now who I try to maintain as much academic rigor as I can, while at the same time writing stuff that actually makes sense is, sense and is useful to people who face real problems. Mm. So why wh uh, why did you decide to make that? Is it safe to call it a transition? Or oh yeah 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I mean you know it, why yeah. there's a, there, there's a, it's definitely a, tra it's a transition. I think that what happens is after a while, and I think all things are like this, when um, I write or edit academic articles, it got to the point where it felt like a kabuki dance, you know, because mm -hmm. it's, so, it's so ritualized and you, and you write very rigorous, very careful articles uh, that are maybe read by a couple hundred people if you're lucky. Yeah. And uh, in the amount of work it takes to get one of those things published, it's just incredible. You have to fight with the reviewers and everything. But... <laughs> In, in in the end, though, once the process started, I, I realized I could write the 
the letter that rejected the article or accepted it before I send it in. I could anticipate exactly what's going to happen. And, and life gets kind of, um, you know, numb and mindless when it just feels like it's ritualistic doing things over and over again. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and, and then the other thing that started happening was I just started having more and more contact in uh, my teaching, my executive teaching, uh, speeches, the kind of research I did, especially um, at IDEO and meeting people at uh, places like Pixar, where um, I started feeling that, uh, that, that, gee, it was time for me to try to take these ideas I have and to try to do something that's more practical. Mm -hmm. So do you think that you can make a bigger impact that way? Yeah, well, well it's, yeah. I don't know. It's a bigger impact. It's just a different impact. Mm, okay. I mean, I, I, I mean, because to to do stuff that's more evidence based or guided by the evidence, you have to understand somebody's got to do that work, right? Mm. Uh, and I certainly did it for years. But yeah, I guess I suppose in terms of of a quick impact, I mean, uh, just just a book, for example, uh, uh, such as well, the No Asshole Rule is the one that's felt like it's impacted individuals. Yeah. But the last book that I did before this, which is a completely different topic, was on scaling excellence. So spreading excellence. So, it, it, and it is kind of exciting. I mean, just for example, it's kind of a weird organization to bring up, but uh, the, the, the Girl Scouts, I've actually mm -hmm. done, uh, and my wife is actually an executive at the Girl Scouts. I've done some work with the Girl Scouts. I can't charge them because it's my wife's organization, <laughs> right? Uh, so this is for free. Yeah. Uh, but, but, but 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 they really do have have um, a challenge of how do you spread excellent ideas um, across across the the whole Girl Scout organization. So to me, that's a fascinating um, challenge. And then in more capitalist organizations, working with a, a big uh, U.S. company like Procter and Gamble to spread design thinking to be more customer focused, uh, that's kind of exciting too. So uh, so so it it is exciting to try to help to have. Um, have an impact. And, and one, one effect of this, and it, this really is true for your listeners, is that in, in, in all I, I've, I've dealt with and spoken to and uh, tried to work with uh, so many senior executives and, and, and first-line managers, managers all up and down mm -hmm. uh, the hierarchy and all sides of organizations, it's really led me to have a respect uh, and admiration for people who are in positions where, uh, whether they're leading one people, one person, or uh, ten thousand or a hundred thousand, those jobs are so hard and require so much skill mm. uh, that uh, I really do admire the challenges that uh, that 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 managers of all kinds have. And my goal is to try to help them a little bit, while at the same time realizing that, that they have such complex jobs that just codifying them. I, I don't think we quite have the algorithm written that can get uh, managers through every decision they make. Uh, sometimes mm -hmm. algorithms can support them, but boy, are those tough jobs. Yeah, well, it's funny that you that we're talking about this topic because um, in 2010, when I was getting my master's degree in uh, business administration, uh -huh. I was really thinking about pursuing a, pursuing a PhD because uh -huh. I really like teaching, I really like reading, I like researching, and all those things are things that I actually enjoy doing. But um, the reason I decided not to pursue it is because I wanted to have <laughs> a more practical and hands-on approach. And, and I started a business after that. Oh, good for uh, you. Um, yeah, but I, I can definitely relate to what you're saying. And now, the thing that um, you also talked about, excellence. Uh-huh. 
um, and that you try to uh, you wrote a book about excellence, and you also scaling up excellence. Yeah, yeah. And, and you and you mentioned that you were uh, focused on getting A's in college, right? Well, yeah, yeah. And so I was where, also where, focused on having fun. So <laughs> for a long time. <laughs> so, but, but where? Because if I look at my own college days, I remember a lot of people who were just you know they would be satisfied if they would get a C or a B or whatever, and they wouldn't strive for excellence. So I'm always curious to hear, you know, who inspired you to pursue excellence? Oh, I've, oh that's interesting. Um, so uh, first of all, I, I honestly think I, I, I may be wrong, but I think I'm right that I have the lowest high school grade point average of any Stanford professor. <laughs> uh, so I had I I had one one on the four point scale one point nine after my junior year and two point one after my senior year. I was a terrible student, mm. and so and so what happened was uh, honestly I, the kind of opportunities that I had were to either uh, go into my father's business. He was an entrepreneur, ran a, a small sort of su defense subcontracting for film firm and working with my father would have been a terrible idea <laughs> or to get a really crummy job. And I had a lot of jobs, cooking, clean, cleaning sailboats and I, some fun jobs, teaching sailing. <laughs> but, uh, but, but uh, then when I, you know, when I started uh, meeting people in part through racing sailboat, sailing, uh, sailboats who, uh, had better jobs. It always seemed like they went to school and they went to good school. So then I realized that uh, I better sort of um, either, you know, go into dad's family business or, or crack the whip and start getting good grades. And mm. so uh, it was mostly fear of going to business with my father that drove me to excellence, if you will. Mm, I think that's a great technique <laughs> to look at the alternative, right? Because yeah, it, was, it was like, you, so yeah, and, and I was a good student at, at Berkeley and, uh, and, and in community college and other places too. So mm. yeah, I think uh, I love that story because um, it's easy, or it's not easy. It's actually difficult, I think, to uh, sometimes do the alternative. For for instance, uh, sitting at home uh, uh -huh. might sound might sound pretty interesting, but if you do it for a few days, most of us go crazy. So it's either you know sitting at home and doing nothing, or you know the other thing, uh, just strive for excellence. I think moving forward, that's the only way to go because you know if you rest, you rust, right? Yeah, but well, but it is interesting about sitting home. So, so uh, one of the things that does is is something that runs through my career really starting seventy six, seventy seven, mm. till this morning, is that above all, um, even though I've had many different sorts of audiences, really I mostly consider my craft to be writing, mm. and uh, so and I'm always you know sometimes I'm writing a book, sometimes. Uh, I, I wrote a piece for the Wall Street Journal a couple of weeks ago. That was really fun because going back and forth, they had really good editors. Mm. And to me, that's the that's the craft that I most uh, feel that um, I'm most myself. And, and and to do that, it's if and I and I am fairly introverted much of the time. I spend a lot of time alone. Yeah. And it gives you a great excuse not to talk to people. You can play with ideas rather than. <laughs> so, and so and so really, I, yeah. I think I do have the personality and identity of being a writer. So it used to be academic articles, and now yeah. uh, doing a book project it both exhausts me and I get all excited about it. So, also, uh, uh, there are not. I love to write. Well, I love to write too. And the, the good thing is that there are no assholes around. And there's nobody. Like, yeah. if, hell other, if hell is other people being a writer, I mean, it's like you just leave, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So, so you create, yeah. and, and, and whether it's fiction or nonfiction, yeah. I mean, you create this little world where, where like you're kind of in charge. You move the sentences around, you know, yeah. and it's so. Yeah. So anyway, so I, 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 I do enjoy the process of writing, and it's funny because I remember. So one, what one of my good friends, David Kelly, he's, uh, he's uh, the, the the founder of a famous uh, uh, global design firm called IDEO, and he's he's a colleague of mine at Stanford too, and. One year I was in a think tank and, mm. and, and it was it's in the Stanford Hills and they literally would keep you in this little tiny kind of 10 by 11 room where you <laughs> everybody was just in there typing all day. And, and he said and David is really he doesn't really write and he's not and he's so social and he looks he goes, so you just sit in here all day and you just you just type. They say sometimes <laughs> I read. Uh, yeah. Sometimes I do research, but mostly that, that's what I do. He said, just my idea of hell. It is my idea of heaven, so it just depends who you are. Yeah, I, I can totally relate to that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I these days I work mostly from home as well, and I've in the past worked for corporations as well. And um, I'm also more introverted, and I can tell from you know personal experience that it really has a big impact on the quality of your life. Ah. That's right. And, and, but, 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 you're, but, but you're, it sounds like you're a social introvert because like, you'll talk to people because yeah, I'll talk I do. to people. And then, and then you know, <laughs> after I talk to you, that'll be enough for a few hours. I'll go be by myself. So. Yeah. <laughs> and so you, you, you mentioned that you uh, see yourself mostly as a, as a writer. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, I, mean, yeah. I write, I, I, I guess yeah. I, Teacher. I have topics and yeah. I do teach. Yeah. I do teach. Mm -hmm. I, I do, uh, I do speeches and work with companies and, mm -hmm. and have conversations. But in the end, the thing yeah. that, that, that always, you know, you know, it, it's always like you're doing other stuff, but you know what I really should be doing when I'm writing, I feel like I'm doing what I should be doing. Even though a lot of other people don't agree with that. I mean, my, you know, I, I think that uh, my university thinks I should be out raising funds for them. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, different, uh, different people, some of the people um, I work with probably think that I should be on committees or doing Stanford politics or something. Mm. Uh, but I, you know, and I, I go to the meetings I'm required to do, go to, and I do do administrative work at Stanford and it is fun. And, and, and one thing that, uh, I mean, you can put it when you put up the podcast is we did experiment, uh, with some wonderful po folks at Stanford on a, a podcast on organizational friction. Mm -hmm. So I tried, so like you're doing, I, I tried my first experiment at podcasting and that was really fun. I, mm -hmm. it, it maybe, maybe podcasting is, is social interaction for intro introverts. Cause you sort of talk yeah. to people, you do a job and then the conversation's over. <laughs> but I just, I, I just love, I actually had a great time. And, and, uh, yeah. we, we wrapped up the series and, uh, the, 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 the final one is, there's just a couple of weeks left, but it's on, on organizational friction, but all oh, that was so much fun. Well, to be honest, uh, podcasting for me is just an excuse to talk to great people all, all yeah, over the world. Yeah. <laughs> That's what yeah. I thought of. It, it, it was, and, and I had like this, this, this editor, this guy named Eli, he'd edit it. Mm. And so no matter how stupid I was or, or he'd just make everybody sound great. So that's really funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Same here. Cause you know, I, I live in the Netherlands. Dutch is my you know first language and uh, English. Yeah. So there's a lot of ums and hums for me, but you know, editing can do a lot of magic. 
<laughs> so by the by the way, I married my wife uh, from a uh, a half Dutch family, so I I've, mm. I've got a lot of exposure to to Dutch people. All right, your English tends to be better than Americans in general. <laughs> so I can't believe how good their English is. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, I've lived in in London for a while as well for about two years. Um, and uh, you know that that made a big impact on um, I think the quality of my English. So because I went to business school as well, so everything ah. was in English. And most degrees in English from uh, universities, or actually all uh, business degrees in the Netherlands from universities, are all English. Uh-huh. So that's just incredible. Yeah, that's yeah, my, great. Dutch, my Dutch isn't very good. I, I I hear people speak it every now and then. Oh really? Um, it, yeah. It, well, because well, of the, my relatives, but it's funny. Also, they are real. I I thought maybe from because there's a lot of Dutch people, you know, from you know um, generations ago in the U.S. Oh, no, her her uh, her her family they were actually uh, Dutch colonists in Indonesia and mm. uh, her what is it her grandfather actually died in a Japanese concentration camp and then her mother very intrepid person went back uh, to Holland and actually kind of moved into an empty building without anybody's permission wow. <laughs> an empty house I guess yeah. there was a lot of that yeah so yeah so her her family really suffered through World War Two mm. and. Uh, but uh, yeah, but they're they're all tall, determined, really smart mathematical people. That's that's <laughs> that's, that's her Dutch relatives. Yeah, very analytical as well. Very analytical, very smart people. Yeah, yeah. very nice people. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's great um, to hear that there's a Dutch connection over there as well. So um, the thing uh, we were talking about working at home, right? Uh, so right. there are no assholes at home. But w- when's the first time you dealt with an a- actual asshole? Uh, yeah. I don't know. Well, you know, it's been, there's been so many assholes in my life, as with many <laughs> of us, that it, the list just goes on and on. I mean, certainly in in um, grade school and the like, um, I dealt with bullying. But uh, but really, one of the things that really got me going, and I have to be careful because this person's still alive, but the, the, the most serious uh, early interaction I had with um, a bully who was really, really, and I didn't realize how bad he was until it got towards the end, is... is uh, I, I had an advisor I was working with in graduate school who was so exploitive and so temperamental. And was, and he was paranoid. He was always thinking that uh, everybody, including me, was stealing his ideas. Mm-hmm. And uh, just that feeling that uh, first somebody is your friend, but really I should have noticed that he thought that he was the smartest person on the planet and, mm-hmm. and everybody is always uh, stealing his ideas and stuff. And then eventually... He started going after me too, and and he only started going after me after I um, after I basically wrote him a note and I said he was a terrible person. I didn't want to work with him anymore. And then he started going after me, and you know, in in, in retrospect, what I was dealing with was uh, somebody who was just a pure narcissist. And there's lots you know, lots of research on narcissists are a special kind of asshole mm. because the way that narcissists are is that um, as long as you're flattering them and telling them how wonderful they are and agreeing with them and listening to them talk about how wonderful they are and telling them how wonderful they are. They're just fabulous. But uh, once you become an enemy, the it's kind of all over for you. The, the, there's there's no sort of in-between space, that sort of thin-skinned sort of person. The thing that I also, you know, we, we're talking about the positive part is that, uh, that as a result of that incident, um, this is the University of Michigan, I had a whole bunch of people come to my aid and to support me, mm. senior people who uh, not only gave me emotional support, but also gave me political support. And it was really mm. a lesson that uh, 
in a healthy social system. So he was an, I was in an unhealthy relationship in an un, in a healthy social system that um, all these wonderful uh, Michiganders and, uh, and other folks just, they just came to my aid and, and, uh, and took my side in a way that just to this day, I, it, it's, it's had a lasting effect on my life. They, as a person and as an intellectual, they protected me. So, so I was actually very lucky because if, if he had been, uh, it, I, I always say uh, the, the most difficult assholes to deal with are the ones who are socially and politically skilled. Mm-hmm. He was not. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, so he really wasn't. Yeah. If, if, he was, if he was more socially and politically skilled yeah. uh, because he was a more powerful person than me, uh, he mm-hmm. would have, he would have uh, probably, I probably would have dropped out of my PhD program. But I, I literally was saved by some um, some wonderful people in the Midwest. So, wow. so 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 my experience was was a uh, even though it was very painful. It was a year I was just in pain and depressed and was going to drop out of school. Mm-hmm. But I was saved by wonderful people. So, uh, so so that that notion that bad times don't last, I, I think is is one of the things. It's one of the messages of my book. But I've also personally experienced it. Mm. Yeah, well, I'd love that you mentioned that uh, it was a rough time because I think. Um, I've also had family members and friends, and I've I've dealt with assholes at work as well, because um, it has a really big impact, I think, on your life. Because oh. it's easy to say, you know, I'm not taking work uh, to, to with me to home, but you know, as all like most of us know, that's not that easy, right? Yeah, yeah, boy. So I mean, so that's you know, to drift slightly towards the book or really the two books, mm-hmm. but since since um, so I wrote. Uh, the the no asshole rule in 2007 and this book the new book the asshole survival guide comes out in 2017 and and I've been working on other things but I just you know academic habit I kind of go in and just keep track of research like abusive supervision bullying at work uh air rage now now there's research on phone rage there's even what what they call there's this thing of 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 pedestrian pedestrian rage all sorts of rage every kind yeah. of rage there is and 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 so what we have is just rudeness incivility yeah. we have this huge body of research thousands tens of thousands of studies and the evidence that um when when we are around somebody who makes us feel bad about ourselves demeaned de-energized whatever uh and you're sort of laying out, it affects our physical health, it affects our mental health, it affects yeah. our sleep, it affects our relationship with other important people in our life. It, it, and, and then the other part, the reason it's bad for organizations, it, 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 um, it affects our relationships with customers, our productivity, our creativity. And uh, there's even, there's a great study done with a large uh, chain, uh, American fast food chain, they don't say which one, but they mm-hmm. look to see the, the, the store manager and basically whether uh, he or she was an asshole or not. And people who work for assholes in fast food chains, uh, they're more likely to steal and waste more food. Oh. They have pretty good evidence about, you know, food wasted. So yeah. that's there's all these negative effects that that if you're around somebody like like that, it's not good for you. It's not good for your coworkers. It's not good for your customers or your organization. It's yeah. very destructive. Yeah, because you mentioned in the book as well that um, if you have assholes, they hi- they'll hire probably assholes, right? Um, ah. <laughs> you know, well, well, you know, yeah. so, uh, so, you know, similar people on track. So, so one of yeah, the exactly. funniest stories I, I got about that. So, so this guy, cause it, when, when the no asshole rule came out, I got all these emails, which is what, what some of the main fodder for the new book. And uh, so this guy writes me, said, so first I had one boss who was an asshole. Then mm-hmm. I had two bosses. Then they got married. They're breeding. <laughs> help, help. <laughs> 
<laughs> I thought that, that was the extreme case of attraction. Uh, First thing is, one boss hires another boss. They're both assholes. They get together because they're attracted to each other, and then they have a kid, so they reproduce. So I, I thought that that's a, that's a case literally yeah. like bleeding like rabbits. Yeah, and, and so the other side like, is also that sometimes people who are not necessarily assholes, they, they will turn into one because they work with one or, you know, Oh, so so that's a great that's a great point and and in fact one thing and this is it, in, especially um, in the new book I emphasize this because one of the big lessons I learned uh, and I do talk about the difference between temporary and certified assholes in both books but yeah. one of the things that that I've really learned is that uh, that under the uh, under the wrong conditions any of us can turn into jerks if you're around jerks all day. You're going to catch the disease, and gee, by the way, if you don't fire back, uh, you probably won't survive anyways. It's yeah. it's really hard to be surrounded with them, and if you're in a situation where you're sleep de deprived or you're treated badly or you're in a hurry, uh, those are conditions that bring out the worst in most uh, in most human beings. So, mm -hmm. uh, so so it isn't just you know one of my expressions is assholes are us. I mean, there's all these surveys. People always talk about all the assholes around them yeah well you know they've got to be somebody and they're us <laughs> so yeah so it's important to take responsibility for uh for both when we treated others with disrespect yeah. and also there, there's this thing uh that I, in the book i call them toxic enablers and th these are people who aren't assholes themselves but they they kind of they're sort of like uh you know you'll have a parade with elephants and people behind cleaning up the poop they sort of play that role in life that they they kind of come in, they calm everybody down, they calm the asshole down and tell the asshole that he or she wasn't really so bad. And they sort of enable mm. the person to continue during the doing the uh, the dirty work. And that's what I always say: if you want to be an effective um, asshole, get somebody to clean up after you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so part, part of the recipe. I I just, I just before we move on to like how we can deal with that type of behavior, I just want to quickly ask: like, do you think the since in the last decade or so, the, this rudeness is getting worse, or is it the same? Okay, you know, so people keep asking me that question, yeah. and, and if if you if you look at surveys, it, it kind of looks like, in terms of people being subject to prolonged bullying, that uh, in terms of prolonged bullying, it's it's usually about ten or twelve percent of the population that is being bullied at any one time, the working population, mm -hmm. and maybe thirty five percent of us experience it at some point in the course of our working life. But, it, but, but if you start looking at other factors, there are things that should, if you believe the evidence, increase the likelihood that it happens. One is uh, to, when there are power differences between people, that leads to more nasty behavior, both up and down the chain, especially more powerful people bullying less powerful people. And we certainly have income inequality it, it is something that keeps increasing. Uh, uh, when people are in a hurry, when they're sleep deprived, mm. uh, these are all things that are likely to increase the likelihood of, of bad behavior. And then the other thing, and I'm not going to mention any names, but when you have role models who treat other people like dirt, yeah. uh, uh, well, if we stayed a business, I mean, the, Steve Jobs was celebrated, I would argue partly inaccurately as the reason he got ahead was that he was a jerk. And so you also have role models and here in Silicon Valley where I work, uh, you have uh, young executives who believe that they've got to be meaner to get ahead. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I, I think the, the evidence is that there are plenty of people who are successful without being, uh, being yeah. jerks. Uh, 
but uh, but but there is that mythology. Yeah, so. that, that idea is still very alive because I, as I uh, recently just read an article, um, I can't remember exactly uh, what the title was, but it was something like, uh, yes, you have to be an asshole to be, or something like that, you have to be a jerk to become successful. And I just quickly skimmed through it and it was, you know, a person really making the point that, you have to be tough and you have to be a jerk or you have to, you know, and, and to me, but, I was like, it really? So, so, I, so that it is interesting how often that point is made. So, so yeah. yes, I think, I think to be successful, you do need to be focused. You do need to be task oriented and to re- surround yourself with people who are similar, but that that's not the same as treating people like dirt. And, uh, and there are plenty of examples of people who have made plenty of money without being jerks. And, and somebody, you know, in the U.S. I would start with is uh, Warren Buffett. Just the guy is just not a jerk. He really isn't. <laughs> I love that guy. I, 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 you know, he's he's done he's done pretty well. And in, 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 in Silicon Valley, yeah. uh, we, we've got, well, uh, Mark Benioff, who started Salesforce and is so successful, um, even though he did work for, for probably a known jerk, uh, Larry Ellison, at one point. And mm-hmm. then uh, and then Reed Hastings, who uh, Reed, Reed Hastings, is uh, the the founding and still see of, of Netflix and and so I like to sort of yeah. uh, Ed Catmill who's of Pixar fame they're people who actually have been very successful without being jerks so it, so since there is it is possible uh, you know it, yeah. it, it's, and, and and by the way the, the, the Uber story is really interesting because that's that's one of the cases yeah, where I wanted to mention uh, that yeah and an asshole CEO uh, in and they've got other things they've done bad too, uh, uh, in terms of legal stuff. But an asshole CEO is one of the reasons that, that the company's in trouble. And that's mm. and he said he was a jerk. He said he had problems. This is not yeah. like talking behind his back. So, so I think so, I, I think uh, that's pretty good because um, I also because I was thinking about this. You know, are we is rudeness getting worse? And I was thinking, you know, I read a lot of philosophy as well. And if you read Stoic philosophy, you know, Marcus Aurelius <laughs> goes like, you know, wake you wake up in the morning and you 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 know more or less he says you have to deal with nasty people. It's all part <laughs> of it, right? Right, right. Yeah, there are. Yeah, I yeah. like that. That's and, true. And, and, and it's like it's been around since modern civilization, I think. Um, but nowadays, I think, which is a great development, is that we're getting um, more focused on saying, you know, this is not good, uh, especially what yeah. we're seeing at Uber. And that, uh, oh, oh, that oh, kind of attention. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, no, no, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I just wanted to say that kind of attention, I think, is is a good thing. I, I think I think it is a good thing. The, the one force that we did not talk about, which is really, if I was going to pick one force, uh, there is all this research that shows that uh, when people do a task where they don't have eye contact with another human being, mm-hmm. they're prone to be nastier, and that's well, that's what's happening in the internet every day. And, and mm-hmm. it, it is real. And so with the texting and the social me- the social media. Uh, I mean, it, there's all these opportunities to uh, have eye contact, to have interactions with people who you aren't having any empathy for. It's much, it's not impossible, but it's much harder to be meaner to somebody when you see them wince and they're in pain or they're suffering right in front of you. Yeah, so, <laughs> that's true. There are a lot of trolls. A lot of a lot of trolls. Yeah, and I I, and, I like uh, how Bill Burr, the comedian, uh, do you fo- do you follow him? No, no, tell me about it. So. Uh, He's a he's a obviously he's a comedian, but uh, when people bully him on Twitter, he just uh-huh. goes in guns blazing. He's just like, oh, really? I have no remorse for this for this person. <laughs> you know, I'm just gonna kill him. <laughs> 
It's like, and, and I, I listened to uh, another interview he did, and the interview was like, really, really, uh, like, uh, are there like no boundaries? It's like no boundaries. I'll make fun of his profile picture, whatever, right? Because, because <laughs> <laughs> he's like, that's not how you treat people. Well, well, you know, so uh, it, that is interesting because we're kind of getting into how you deal with bullies, and yeah. and in general. Uh, you know, especially for online bullies, the advice is to, you know, de-link, detach and uh, and uh, block them and all yeah. that sort of stuff. But there, there is an argument that if you feel if you've got the power and the personality that you just like to fight and you're not going to take it. Well, bless you. So, <laughs> and a, a lot of it, a lot of it depends on the kind of uh, makeup you have. When I get it, if I started responding that way, and I think this is true for many of us, it would make me literally physically sick. Yeah. Uh, so, so, so on Twitter, I'm very quick. I, I will block somebody as soon as I see them being nasty, racist, sexist. I just I, immediately, yeah. I just don't want to see it anymore. But some people just love, like it gives them energy. And mm. so, you know, it just yeah. depends who you are. Yeah. Personally, got, I like to ignore them as well. Yeah. Just depends who you are. Yeah. So the, the thing about assholes, what I really loved about the book is that you uh, start with assessing the situation, because one thing right. that I've also seen is that people are quick to judge. Yep. Yep. So, so, I talk, so, in, in, well, well, first of all, in terms of assessing the situation, which is that, uh, I mean, in, this is the end of the first chapter that we human beings have all these biases that we're all, we're very quick. Mm-hmm. to uh, label other people's is assholes and slow to label ourselves. And, and I think on average, we should do the opposite, but uh, you know, I'm thinking of your comedian in terms of if, if you're going to decide <laughs> how you're going to deal with the situation, you know, there's certain things you want to assess, which is uh, well, uh, um, how much power do I have in this situation? Is everybody around here an asshole? So am I fighting hundreds or dozens of assholes or is it just one? Uh, one is basically how much is it bothering me? How much am I suffering? Um, so, uh, so those are some of the sort of, oh, one of the other key ones is essentially how many allies I have. One of the thing about your comedian, I suspect that he's got a bunch of followers who are on mm-hmm. his side. Yeah. So when he piles on, everybody else piles on, uh, if, if you've got that, that's a, that's very powerful because you can just sort of fight back. But, uh, and, and then one of the, the key things as well, if you lose, what options do you have, right? Mm. <laughs> so, so if you've got 30 more jobs waiting or, or 100 more clients, it's like, so what if, if, if one of them treats you like, like shit and you, and you slam them or cut them off, like a, you've got another 99 clients. But uh, if this is the only one you've got and, and your family is not going to be able to eat, well, then maybe you might want to think about it. So, 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 so let's talk about a scenario. I, um, I apply for a job. You know, people are really great. Um, I talk to everybody, uh, managers, VPs, and what whatnot. Mm-hmm. And you know, after consideration, I take the job. And okay, I start the job really excited. But after a week or so, my boss is starting <laughs> to treat me like dirt. Right. What do I do? Uh, well, the first the first thing that I would do is. Um, to see what sort of allies that you can find in the office for two reasons. One is so you can potentially have some support. And the second reason is to start asking them questions about one is, so am I crazy? Is it just me or does he treat Mm -hmm. all of us like that? And then the other reason is you want to find allies, including people who 
used to work for, and you said him, in this case, him in the past, but perhaps <laughs> of less half yeah. the firm. He, him, or the he or she. Yeah. He or she. Yeah. Yeah, yes, they, it's, it, 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 assholes come in both flavors. Exactly. So, or all flavors. We can be more open-minded than that. Yeah. But so, so, uh, so anyways, uh, but, but the, but the, the thing is to, to assess the situation before you act. And one of the, the key things, uh, early on in a job is, and this is one of the big distinctions I like to make is the difference between strategic and clueless assholes. Mm-hmm. A lot of times someone who is making you feel bad about yourself or you believe treating you badly, they may not realize they're doing it. And if you have a, a quiet, private conversation with them and explain to them how um, they're making you feel and ask uh, if we can do something about it, or maybe I'm doing something to bother you. Mm. Uh, with, with, with many people, I would say if, if yeah, you know, this isn't science, but 75% of assholes, those conversations can be very constructive. Uh, the other 25% who just really want to make you feel like dirt or refuse yeah. to accept that about themselves, that's not going to help you. That's why you want to use the gossip. But, but, Doing your homework and sort of figuring out whether you can have that backstage conversation is actually really important. Yeah, I really like that. Uh, just uh, having that conversation and just not attacking the other person. Just more like, have I done something maybe? And try right. to see if you get a response. So that I, I really like that. And how about, you know, we, we try all those things. Nothing really works. And you, I'm, I'm starting to get really frustrated. You know, we're right. a few months in. And I'm thinking about firing back, right? Like I, I want to get some revenge. <laughs> is that a good? Is that a good thinking? What? Well, well, well my my perspective on that is if you're gonna if you're gonna go to war with with the local asshole, and I I actually love the example of your comedian. You kind of got to figure out, well, uh, if I got how much power do I have versus that person? Mm. Uh, what what happens to me if I lose this job? Or if I just, or if, or, or the other part is even worse than that, you might stay the job and you're creating a situation where you're going to be in constant warfare where they're throwing shit at you and you're throwing shit at them all day long. And I, I, I and I use an example in the book that, <laughs> that, that there was once I, I did a little work for a, a small unnamed consulting firm and they were describing to me how the two uh, key partners who used to be best friends just got into this fight where essentially, they couldn't hardly stand to be in the same room with each other. And they did, they just fight and fight and fight and they were backstabbing. And so what happened was that it was miserable for both of them and for everybody else in the firm. So you got to be careful of creating that sort of uh, vicious circle of oh. revenge where, you know, where, where everybody feels as if, as if they're, they're, uh, they're damaged. But, uh, um, if if you do the analysis and uh, you believe that you've got the documentation to take them down mm-hmm. and you've got the power, well, bless you. And, you know, we had a great example in the U.S. here with uh, one of my least favorite uh, television uh, stations, Fox News, uh, where uh, the late Roger Ailes, the CEO, was sexually harassing a, um, um, a woman named Gretchen Carlson, one of his presenters, and basically was saying to her, uh, you ought to have sex with me. It'll be better for you. But she recorded the conversations mm. and she brought them down. Mm. And in that situation, she figured out how to have um, the power against somebody who was more powerful than her in theory. But uh, but she was able to bring him down with but with evidence and mm. uh, and with the and so so you kind of just got to do the analysis. The other thing in that case, I mean, she ended up staying there for years, uh, being kind of at war with him. 
So, uh, so, so a lot depends on how long you're willing to take it and what your other options are. Yeah, so I, I think that's the main decision that you have to make. And the reason I'm just bringing this up is because uh, one of my friends recently had some, some a similar experience <laughs> uh-huh. after, you know, getting the job and finding out that, you know, uh, she came into a uh, kind of asshole um, culture. Um, but I think, yeah, like you say, you have to make that decision for yourself of what am I going to do, assess the situation. And then also, I think uh, if I look at myself as well, is the initial thought that would come up uh-huh. in my mind is quitting. Oh, quitting. I'm a big well, believer in quitting. Uh, so, I mean, and there's this notion that you should stick with it. You should stick it out. Well, if you've got options, you should get out. And, and one thing, uh, and this is true of all uh, large government, private organizations, a lot of situations, you're actually better off uh, trying to transfer to another part of the organization. Because once once uh, you can get, there's evidence, if you get a couple hundred feet away from them, you, they might as well be in another country. Mm. And if they're not your <laughs> boss, they're not in your work group. Mm. And uh, and and that that's one of the most important bits of advice. I mean, my, my sister, she's retired now, but she worked for the U.S. federal government for years. And I remember she had two times she got, uh, she was in human resources. She got asshole bosses and she's really good at making friends all over the place. And mm. she just would transfer to another agency. Mm. And, uh, and, and so, you know, she, she kept her, her, her benefits, her pay status and everything. And she actually just kept going up and she said, yeah, you know, the best thing that happened to me was, um, I got a couple of asshole bosses and they, and they drove me to get even better, higher paying jobs. So they did me a favor. <laughs> so, but but yeah. but but it, it, but but that's true of many other organizations too. Is that uh, is that before you quit, look and see what other opportunities there are within the organization. Yeah, and I think that's also very true for uh, entrepreneurs or you know people who are freelancers. It's okay to fire clients. I think. Ah, oh, I'm a big believer. Yeah, yeah. If, 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 if so long as you yeah, I, it sounds like you do. And I I do that too. I've been in the situation where. You just have a client where they're making you feel terrible, and maybe you are making them feel terrible. It could be both ways. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah. the, 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 I mean, the, the gig yeah. economy and and uh, and uh, and being a contractor has disadvantages. One of the big advantages is that uh, the relationships are pretty easy to end, and and you can sort of trim them. You know, we've mm-hmm. all, at least I've had the situation where it starts out really good and it's good for a couple of years, and then we start getting on each other's nerves. And well, you know, we just say, "Gee, it's been great." Uh, Really appreciate it. Time to have a change, and everybody yeah. smiles and walks away. But it's why, not so bad. But why do you think uh, the most entrepreneurs and freelancers that I speak to, they, when I mention that you can fire a client, they're like, "Oh, really? Like they're, they're <laughs> <laughs> really surprised that you can do such a thing." You know, why, why do you think? Is that have you experienced that as That's well? Yeah, I, yeah. I guess I guess I have. I, I even myself. Yeah. In, in, in independent, it took me like years to realize that, and 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 and, th- and this sort of brings us to whether you're quitting your job or firing a mm-hmm. client. Yeah. That um, although you know there's all these images, the Johnny Paycheck song, "Take this job and shove it," that people slam the door and <laughs> and dramatically walk out and you know say "fuck you" and all that sort of yeah. stuff. Well, uh, yeah. it looks really good on TV, and people like that do become cultural heroes when they yeah. do that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But honestly, uh, if you do it in such a way where you don't burn your bridges. You thank people. You treat them gracefully, uh, to the assuming that that they will allow it, and, and you can bring yourself to do it. 
you're actually in much, in much better shape to do it in such a way that leaves everybody feeling good, even if the yeah. person is an asshole, because you, you, practically you don't want the person, whether it's a client or a boss, bad-mouthing you the rest of your life. Mm. Uh, so, so You have to be strategic. You be yeah. you be, although, although I say that there, is, there, there does become a point where when, if somebody does something that's so unethical or so nasty that, uh, that, that I think that, that making a decision that you got to fight back and, and do everything you can to, yeah. to badmouth them and even tell them you're going to badmouth them, Mm. You know, I, I don't want to just say everybody should always be a doormat, but I also am all is, is, is I'm very aware of the notion that all of us have to protect uh, our ability to, 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 you know, pay our rent, feed our children and all that sort of stuff. So uh, yeah. so reality does intrude. Yeah, I think uh, the message of, you know, the, your work and the latest book as well is that um, it's not OK to be an asshole. And I think that we have to take uh, responsibility at first look at ourselves, right? As long as we are doing yep. the right things, then it's okay to, you know, point out a wrong behavior, because I think that's also kind of our responsibility. Um, but do, do you have some like mind tricks to get into that, you know, state of mind for people who are listening and say, you know, I'm really uncomfortable with deal, uh, dealing with assholes? Well, well, so there's we've been talking about direct conflict, but yeah. and and fighting back a lot, uh, which which can be useful and sometimes advisable. But if you get in a situation where you feel hurt or oppressed, uh, so I've got a chapter on mind trick mind tricks that protect your soul. Uh, tr sometimes it can be very useful to reduce the stress to frames to, to frame the uh, behavior of assholes you can't escape in ways that make them uh, less upsetting. So. Just for example, the the opening story in the book, I, I talk about one of my friends, Becky. Her name is Becky Margiata. She's a complete character. Mm -hmm. So Becky, uh, in the 80s, she was oh, actually one of, not one of the first, but one of the early women at the U.S. Military Academy. Um, it's called West Point. <clears throat> and, uh, and the way it works at West Point and many military academies is you end up being hazed the, by upperclassmen the, the first couple of months. They stand in front of your face. They yell at you. They criticize every little thing you did. Uh, one of the things I remember her telling me that uh, one of the standard things they would get hazed for and told that they were complete idiots was they would be they would be required to recite every headline in the New York Times that morning. And if they didn't remember, they get screamed at. That's a standard, you know. And yeah. and so what? And so Becky said in the first couple of weeks she was kind of freaked out, and she said, but then I started thinking that um, you know. What if I start viewing these people as comedians and they're people who are incredibly skilled and um, the meaner they are, the funnier they are? And, and, and so she said, I started doing that. And she said, so the main problem I started having was I could detach myself emotionally and just admire and laugh at um, how nasty they were, like they mm -hmm. were a parody. But she said, then I get in trouble because sometimes I'd start giggling and they'd <laughs> scream at me even more. But uh, but but that's a classic emotional detachment strategy because mm -hmm. what she's doing is she's reframing it as being less harmful, mm -hmm. and she's also sort of treating herself like being in a movie, somebody she's watching, rather than it being personally about her. So that's classic detachment or classic strategy. And in general, uh, when we are in situations where we feel as if uh, people are doing harm to us, finding ways to reinterpret it in such a way that it's not so stressful. One of the things that I really talk about in the book, and there's good experimental evidence to support this, there's this thing I sometimes call it imaginary time travel, or they call it temporal distancing in the research, which is that if you are dealing with a difficult person, if you can say to yourself, uh, well, 
tonight, this will be over and I won't ever have to deal with it again next week, next month. This idea of imagining that you're in the future and you're looking back at what happened to you mm -hmm. um, is actually is actually really an important strategy for for coping with uh, with a stressful situation because it kind of gets you out of the here and now and uh, and makes it less threatening at the moment. And there's a, I've got a whole bunch of other mind tricks in the yeah. book too. One one of my favorite ones, which isn't one I use, you'd think I would use it more, given that I, I'm sort of like the asshole doctor here or something. Yeah. Um, is is uh, one of my colleagues at Stanford. And I better not use his name or he'll be very unhappy. <laughs> Anyhow, so uh, so um, I always noticed that when we were in meetings with people who were really nasty, he was just so calm. And finally, I said to him, I said, so, like, like, how do you do this? And he said, well, what I do is I, I pretend that I'm a doctor who um, looks for different species of assholeism. <laughs> and the more obnoxious and ruder they are, the more excited I get because it's such an unusual sort of species of assholes. And it's sort of like adding one to my collection. And I, I, and so I, and I'm in the same meeting with him. I've like written these books on assholes. I'm not doing this. I'm getting all pissed off and he's just being serene pretending he's, he's studying assholeism. So I thought that was one of my favorite, favorite detachment strategies because he was using it, not me. Yeah. Well, it sounds like a very skill, skillful uh, guy to be, be able to he, do he, that. He, yeah. Well, we were talking at the beginning about some people should go into management and other mm. people like me, for example, shouldn't. Yeah. Uh, somebody like him is really, he's great because he's just calm, he's supportive, he, he, he has the emotional control and also the wherewithal to get through difficult situations. I, he goes to many more meetings than I do. Yeah, well, it's funny that you mentioned like, you know, the topic of self-awareness, just knowing yourself. Um, uh -huh. Some sometimes I think about you know in the past that I've dealt with assholes or when you see asshole behavior, I think to myself, you know, do these people lack self awareness or yeah. like what like why is it what what do you think? Well, so, I mean, so the evidence I talk about this, especially the last chapter. There's lots of evidence that uh, that we human beings are terrible at seeing our weaknesses. It's it's called the Dunning-Kruger effect, but essentially, and even worse than that, um, the more incompetent we are at things, including people who lack emotional sensitivity and skills, the more we overestimate our skills at it. So, uh, so the upshot of this research is that the worst person to ask if they are an asshole is the asshole him or herself, and the best person are people who sort of know them and are around them, and and so also in that lies sort of the cure, if you will, for or for lack of self-awareness or assholeism, which is that if you can surround yourself with people who will pull you aside and tell you that your behavior is bad and, and urge you to change it, who you can actually listen to, it will help you a lot. And, you know, we talked about Steve Jobs. Uh, there's a famous guy now passed away also um, named Bill Campbell, who is known as the CEO whisperer in Silicon Valley. He was a former sport, sports coach, went on to be an executive, including CEO of Intuit, uh, a, a big software firm. But uh, he was on Apple's board and was famous for uh, just, I mean, he, he dealt with all the CEOs, the CEOs of Google, was on Apple's board. Every CEO knew him, and he would talk to them about their personal problems. And one of the things he was really good at doing was essentially telling Jobs when to cool it and when he should stop pushing so hard mm. and to be more of a civilized human being. And uh, and and if we can, it, it, and all of us need people like that in our lives to to tell us the truth. 
And, uh, and, and that's the classic thing that narcissists have. And one of the reasons they have so many problems is if all they want from everybody in their life is kissing up and flattery and any criticism they take as a personal attack, boy, it's uh, re- if you only surround yourself with people who, who kiss up to you, it's, you don't have any information to stop you from being an asshole. I, I think that's so important because if we, I think if we want to build asshole-free organizations or groups or even like friends and families, I think this goes right. beyond uh, the, the career uh, or the professional space. I think we have to look at ourselves first and, oh, yeah, we, and not only that, yep. but also try to convert assholes, like you said, or like inspire them, right? Right. Yeah, so, so so one of the most interesting stories, it's in the book, and this, this idea that, and you're, I think you're describing that, that we have a responsibility for ourselves, so we also have a collective responsibility. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And, and, and so, and I just love the story. So so this guy who is now, and I, I have to be careful with names, but but he's, he's a, 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 they call it um, an attending, a senior uh, a physician now at a, at a large uh, prestigious medical school. But he described when he was a young doctor, sometimes they call them junior doctors in the United States, they, they call them residents, the sort of young doctors who work for the senior doctors. Um, he and his buddies every Friday would get together, his fellow residents, and they, they kept a book and they call, and what they would do is they would nominate the attending asshole of the week. And mm-hmm. they'd, they'd all vote, they'd all tell their stories, they'd all vote, and then they'd write the story in the book and they pass this on apparently for <laughs> generations. And, 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 and one of the effects of that in uh, attending senior physicians are infamous for abusing mm-hmm. <clears throat> residents and more junior physicians is he said, we all vowed to at that time, this was some 20-something years ago, that when we became attendings or deans or whatever, that we wouldn't act that way. And he said, almost all of us have pretty much kept our promise. And I really like that because it was a, a little group who made the decision that, um, yes, we are in some ways being trained to be assholes because that's what our role models are. We're, mm. we're under stress. We're sleep deprived. Uh, we could easily uh, fall into that. But we're saying that the buck stops here and we're going to try to be better for the next generation. And I really like that to me because that, to me, that's what it looks like to live the no asshole rule because they took it um, upon themselves to stop the nastiness in, in their profession. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a great way just to, you know, at least that's what I picked up mainly from the book as well because, uh, you know, I've been... Um, my dad, uh, we started our business together and he's also, uh-huh. uh, the first time I heard about it was, um, uh, we went to a, a potential client and uh-huh. it was looking really great and we were about to, you know, go into business uh, together, but, um, my dad decided not to do business with them and leave a lot of money on the table because simply they were assholes. And he also heard it from other people, uh, he knew. So... Well, there's nothing nothing better than reliable gossip. <laughs> yeah, you a lot of tr- I'm serious. Yeah, that's you a true. Lot of tr- that's the yeah, best that's- way to uh, just to um, second guess your own. Um, basically, you get a second opinion, right? Yep. And 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 and. When having somebody else who has suffered so you don't have to, uh, uh, some, very often they're happy to help you and, and, and it, it helps you too. So yeah, that's great. That's very true. So I, I've been, you know, kind of familiar with um, just being uh, against assholes. And when I worked for an um, organization in the past that it was, you know, kind of an asshole culture, I, I was uh-huh. like, you know, this is not for me. I, I can't do this. Um, so I've been quite comfortable with just, you know, the de- detecting it, assessing it, but not so much. Um, I haven't been 
to be honest, really, you know, taking a lot of ownership of saying, oh, I'm going to try to convert assholes or maybe just inspire them a little bit just to be less assholes. So that's one of the things that, you know, after reading this book and talking to you is something that I'm going to try. And hopefully, if other people tried it as well, you right. know, we can make an impact together, right? Sounds a little bit cheesy, I but you I, know, you know. <laughs> no, no, no. So, so it, it, in particular, uh, people who, who it's funny because my wife used to uh, be a senior leader in a large law firm. And she used to say that and, and, and law firms have lots of assholes. And, and, and she said that the ones who were the easiest to, to stop, get them to stop their behavior was if you could convince them they were what she called them strategic assholes. If she could convince them that actually treating people badly was undermining uh, their reputation and ability to make money, especially, she said mm -hmm. they were amazing at stopping the behavior. Mm -hmm. So, so that's, that's a great part one. Of it. It's, yeah. it's, it, it, and, and I heard this it's like story, this negotiation. <laughs> but but it's, it's also you, we're talking about the no asshole. It's also yeah. what kind you talk about the culture. What kind of culture is it? Uh, so this line I used to hear about Google, and it was certainly true of Google in the old days. I don't know if it's true now. I, I don't hang out with them as much. But they used to say it isn't efficient to be an asshole here. And to mm -hmm. me, that's the perfect organization. If it's not efficient to be an asshole, then you actually have to to get your work done, to get a good reputation, to get a promotion. You actually have to treat people with respect. And uh, and and so to me, that's kind of the nirvana, if you will. Mm, yeah, I think that's a great way to uh, close this off. And what's the best way for listeners to get in touch or share their uh, asshole stories with you? <laughs> well, well, so there's lots of ways. You can just email me to if they... If if they go to bobsutton.net, there's all sorts of different ways to get in touch with me, and I and I I think I um, respond to every email people send me. I don't think I've every now and then I'll miss when I'm when I'm out of control, but I really do try to respond to them all. And I've learned so much from people who've told me their stories, both about uh, you know some of them funny, some of them terrible about um, about the abuse they've taken, and especially from people who have talked to me about the strategies that they've used to uh, cope with assholes, to fight back against assholes. So please tell me your stories and the strategies that you've learned. And I always love learning more. Yeah, I think that's the best way to learn, just uh, from other people's stories. That's right. All right. Thanks, uh, Bob. And um, it's, it's been great to talk to you. I, 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 you're a lovely guy to talk to. Thank oh. you so much for having me. Well, same here. And uh, hopefully when you get a, as much uh, input, in the in the future, maybe you'll write another book about assholes. Oh, I, don't well, I, I don't know. I don't so. I, I, I might be. I don't know that I have any more than two books in me. I just <laughs> want to get through this. We'll see what happens. <laughs> see what happens. All right. All Thanks right. so much. All right. Thank you. Bye. Hey, it's Darius, and thank you for listening to this interview. I hope you enjoyed it. And before you go, I want to invite you to join over twenty-one thousand people who subscribe to my newsletter. If you join us, I will send you my best productivity ebook for free. And I will also send you new articles every single Monday. So if you want to join us, all you have to do is go to Darius.show and sign up. That's it. D-A-R-I-U-S dot show. And I will catch you in the next one.